Hello again, friends. You are listening to Mile 24 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast presented by Run In. We are fired up because racing season is back. Some fantastic results this past weekend. A lot of stuff we're looking forward to coming up here soon. Plus, we're going to get into some training ideas with Fartlek Training, how to master speed play in your workouts. Before we do that, Benjamin, welcome in, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. How are you, buddy? Just dandy. Ready to roll? Spiked up and psyched up. Now, we're going to start in Houston. Houston. This is an event you have long looked forward to. Your icon, your hero, your shepherd, Mr. Jim Walmsley, in action in the Houston half. Before we get to the men's race, though, let's give the ladies their due. In the women's half, it was Chicago Marathon champion Bridget Kosky winning in a course record of 65-50, scorching to the win. In fifth place, the first American was Emily Sisson with a time of 67-30. That put her five seconds away from the American record held by... Her training partner, Molly Huddle. Molly Huddle, last year in Houston, set that record at 67.25. Emily Sisson, who has been great on the roads, within five seconds. And so she now looks forward to the London Marathon this spring, her marathon debut. After London, Benji, will we look back and say Emily Sisson is now in the mix this already loaded field of American women for the marathon team in 2020. Emily Sisson, a player? Oh yeah, that's the exact conversation we're going to be having. Okay, well, let's go in soothsay a little bit here. Where are we going to rank her looking ahead? What do you think she's going to do in London? If you haven't seen the London field yet, it is absolutely stacked. We will get a London preview for you coming up. Perhaps one of the greatest marathons in history. What are we going to be saying this spring? Just where is she in the pecking order of American women? Uh, She's definitely, I think, going to be in the top six. Okay, so who's your six? Ooh, if Shalane makes it. Okay, so if Shalane's not retired, I think she's still at the top. Amy Craig is still in the conversation. Yeah, Amy Craig. Des Linden. Yep. Who just ran really fast. Uh, Are you you asking me? I blinked. Oh. Uh, Jordan Hesse. Jordan Hesse, but if she's healthy... And I am blinking so hard right now. Are you oh, Emma Bates? Molly Huddle. Oh, Molly Huddle. Emma Bates. Yeah. yeah Allie, Allie Kiefer. Kiefer. You could say Becky Wade is in that conversation. Yeah. Kellen Taylor. Kellen Taylor, absolutely. Sarah Hall. This list goes on and on. We've been talking about this for the better part of a year now, for 24 miles of this show. We are truly in a, a renaissance, a golden age of American women's marathoners. Emily Sisson just adds to that because I believe she is ready to jump into that mix. I think she is right there on the short list. Obviously, it'd be interesting to see how she transitions and handles that distance in a race. But her result at Houston suggests that she is ready to compete for a spot on the Olympic team. Speaking of spots on the Olympic team and the men's race, a bunch of guys in the half there at Houston punched their ticket to the Olympic trials. Yes, they did. At the top, it was not an American, but Shura Katata wins in 60-11, so just a touch over an hour. The top American finisher, close behind, Reed Fisher from the 10-man group. 
I liked it. Don't know what it was, but I'm leaving it. In 6206, so another great showing for the 10-man elite. Right behind him, now coached by American legend Dathan Ritzenhain, Parker Stinson, new PR for your boy Parker in 6211. The grinder grinded. I think that was like 40 seconds a best for him relatively even on his splits the criticism you've seen from him in the past in his marathon efforts 2017 at cal international 2018 at chicago getting out super hot and fading so 62 11 good start to his career working with dathan how about all the recent ncaa grads in the mix too gosh so many a few that punched their tickets were Chase Weaverly from yeah. uh, Virginia. Just under the 104 barrier. Gerald Mock from your favorite school, Colorado State. God, here we go, Fort Collins. And then Colin Benny of Syracuse always, also yeah. had a big performance. Yeah, and then you have, not an American, so irrelevant for the trials here, but Patrick Tiernan. Beats all the Americans. Smoking hot performance from the Australian. And he was, I believe, eighth overall. Yeah, sixty-one twenty. Sixth, sixth overall, in sixty-one twenty-two. Yeah, so great performance from Patrick Tiernan, uh, the Villanova star. Also, my guy, actually an eighth. I had him confused there. I think maybe my current favorite international distance runner. Oh, the Welshman. The Welshman, the sheep farmer, Dewey Griffiths. He finished eighth. 61.44, great performance from a 2.09 marathoner coming off a tumultuous 2018 for Dewey. Not uh, at peak health and form, but I love this guy's story who is, in fact, literally a, a sheep farmer in Wales who goes 61.44 for an 8th place finish. He beat all the Americans in Houston. But I think the biggest storyline has to be Jim Walmsley, ultra-distance superstar, Benjamin's idol, Benjamin's crush, 64 minutes on the dot, hits exactly the time needed to qualify for the U.S. Olympic trials. He has been running distances far beyond 13.1 in the recent past, including a course record in the 100-mile Western States endurance run just this past summer. He decides to shift gears. We've been very intrigued by what would happen with this one. Going into a wind late in this race, hanging on, on the dot, one hour and four minutes, he will be in Atlanta for the trials early 2019. What does this performance say about Jim Walmsley? I would say it wasn't that shocking. Uh, His college performances probably were indicators that said he could do something like this. Mm-hmm. What was pretty impressive to me was that uh, this December he was planning on running the Lake Sonoma 50 miler. So he had geared up and trained for that. North Face. North Face, sorry. North Face 50. North Lake Face. Sonoma in, yeah. in April. Yeah. yeah, the North Face 50 miler. Mm-hmm. So his training was all geared towards that in December. And yep. he made a one month transition to yep. the half marathon and had success. I mean, he nailed it. So I'm really excited to see what his build up to the trials looks like. And if he'll actually focus a large chunk of his time on it, or if he'll just give it a little month of his attention and line up and do the thing. And that's the question, because he is already 
transitioning back to ultra running. He's got a 100 coming up. In a month. Yeah, so he's got a February 100 on the calendar. And Hong Kong. Yes, Hong Kong. That's a lot of loops around that island. I think this shows incredible versatility for Walmsley to be able to move down to 13.1. As you said, the training until recently was not focused on it. But what does it actually mean for him in his hope to qualify for the U.S. Olympic team next year? He's got a year to go. Who knows what the training is going to look like? What does he do next year at the Olympic trials? Because I know you have strong feelings about young Jimmy's place in the American men's marathoning hierarchy. Yes. I think running 104.00 means he has a lot of work to do yep. between now and February, next February. I'm going to put it out there. Please do. That Jim leads the marathon trials through mile 18 Ooh. and finishes sixth. Uh, now, about half an hour ago, <laughs> before we were recording live, you said he was a lock to make the team. You were willing to wager a Jim Walmsley tattoo in a place of my choosing on your beautiful and delicate body that he would make the team. Are you backing down from the earlier statement? The silence in this room is deafening. So you'll say nothing about it. I plead the fifth. Wow. I think the listeners expect more. That's ben, nice. Ben cool. is covering his mouth. <laughs> I do think that Walmsley transitions to the marathon better than he did to the half. I just don't know that he has the speed necessary for that event. Guys like Parker Stinson running two minutes faster in the half with some marathon experience, even though he's had some collapses himself, know what they're getting into a little more so. I don't at this point think that Walmsley is a legitimate threat to make the team. I think he's an outsider. I think it's a really cool story, though. The transition back and forth, what he's doing, it would be really remarkable if he made it. I will say, I think his upside is his inexperience at the distance. Okay. He goes in with a little bit... I feel like he has less of this sense of urgency to make this team or that he has to make this team to be established or to put food on the table. For him, the Olympics isn't it. So the other guys like Parker Stinson and... These fresh out of college guys, they're all focused. Got to be top three. Got to be top three. Mm -hmm. Jim just has to go and do Jim, and then whatever happens, happens. And I think there's a little less pressure on him because he is coming from the ultra world, that this isn't his bread and butter. And I think that's a big upside coming to such a high stage as the Olympic trials. You know, I thought before the tape started rolling here today that we were really going to get some back and forth, some arguments, some sort of large wager would be made. You have certainly measured your response now at this point. I hope we're putting it out there right now. Jim, I mean, we'll give you all the singlets you want, buddy. We want to have you on. We want to discuss this with Jim and maybe make the wager then in his presence, Ben showing his support for Team Walmsley. Regardless, from 100 miles down to 13.1, he makes it by the skin of his teeth, the last guy in, and we will see what happens over the next year as he trains for the Olympic marathon trials. We have to assume Galen Rupp gets healthy and is on top. It is the number one guy at the trials. There's two spots, it seems, that are relatively open. 
who knows what's going to happen. I've been on record. I want Meb out of retirement for one yes, of those spots. Absolutely. Who knows what we'll see. Abdi Abdi Rahman. What uh, what kind of number do you think Walmsley would have to put up to make that top three? The fact it's February in Atlanta mm-hmm. means the race conditions could vary so much. Yep. It could be snowing. It could be 60 at the start. Who knows? Decent um, amount of climbs on the course. Yes, and which there's definitely some elevation plays change. to his advantage. Sure. Not as much as he'd like it to. I think he would want more climbing. Oh, definitely. Yeah. definitely. He'd like a staircase every <laughs> yeah. mile. Yeah. I'd say if he can run in the ballpark of 211. Yeah. 211 to 212, depending on the day, he's going to be looking right at a top three top five finish yeah i think it'll probably be somewhere in that range and i wouldn't put it out of the question i just think some other guys are safer bets at this point but that's why they run the race we'll find out in atlanta i spent some time in texas this weekend as well i was not at the houston half i was down the road a bit in austin at the austin 3m half marathon awesome race great trip give you a quick overview of the experience in austin it was downright chilly before the gun went off there. Got in Saturday evening for a Sunday race, really windy on Saturday evening, went out and ran some of the course, but Sunday morning got up, went out to the start line, and it was about 30 degrees, which, Ooh. you know, we're, in o- Texas. we're okay with, but we're in Austin, right? It's not exactly yeah. what we expected. It was a really, really fun experience, and I want to brought it up mainly just to, to give some thanks and a shout to the good people from Team Rogue at Rogue Running in Austin, Texas. What a great group. They have hundreds of people training with that group, and they've developed an incredible racing community there. And we've mentioned on here before, one of the our fellow podcasts that we enjoy listening to is Running Rogue from the folks at that location. Uh, I was fortunate enough to early on, about maybe close to two miles into the race, fall into a group of about eight or ten guys, most of whom were on that same team running together with Rogue Running. And I was in a bit of a state of panic when I found them because I never saw a first mile marker. I turned my GPS off on my watch because I didn't want it to be a distraction, and I thought, I'll check in at mile one and kind of see where I am and use it, if anything, just to kind of pump the brakes and keep me under control, make sure I'm not getting out too hard. Of course, what happens when you do that? Yeah, you get out really slow, or you think you're getting out slow. There was a pack in front of me. I thought maybe I should just get onto these guys and stick with them. And when we finally came through a time mat at 5K, I realized, oh, well, I'm about where I wanted to be. I might have even been a little bit fast. Hmm. I had weirdly strangely even splits through the first through 15k i was within a second of 1810 for each 5k coming through and the first 5k we had uphill into the wind to start and then after that it was a lot of flat and downhill but i was pretty much dead on i think it was 1810 and then it was like 36 21 and then it was 54.31, I think. Wow. So I was metronomic in my approach in Austin. Maybe four miles in or so at a water stop, uh, one of the guys in front of me missed his water, and I got one, and so I offered it up to him because he seemed like he was disappointed, like he wanted it. I fell in with them and started talking a little bit. What are your goals? What are you shooting for? What's the rest of this course going to look like? I had driven some of it, but wasn't completely aware. He said, you know, we're all shooting under 117. We'll probably be in that 116, 117 range. And 
I thought, okay, this seems perfect. That's like 550s. You and I had talked beforehand. That seemed realistic. I didn't know what I could do. Last time I really went for a half marathon has been a long couple years ago on a course that was had some trail on it and was kind of muddy. Is so, that the towpath? Yeah, so that okay. was up in, up in Ohio at, at the towpath where it was uh, a combination of crushed limestone and, and dirt, and it really rained hard. So it wasn't a great scene to run fast, but I went into this thinking, you know, I'm in sub-118 shape. I think I could get under 117 if things went well. I'm feeling pretty good. Let's ride with these guys for a while. So pack of about eight or so started to slowly string out. We made a left turn at about mile nine and came up a hill, a short steep one. Then it leveled off and there was a gradual hill out of that. And I decided to get to the front of that pack. We went down to me and two other guys then that were in our pack at that point. And I felt like about every mile or two, the same set of women kept showing up on the course yelling encouragement to these other guys. And so I asked this guy here, we were almost a 10. I was like, God, you guys have all kinds of fans. And he said, yeah, we're, we're all on that same team together. And, uh, you know, there were like girlfriends and wives and whatever That's out there who were cool. driving through the course. And uh, because it was a point to point and all the other roads around were still open except the one we were on, you could drive and get access to see people at a lot of places. That's awesome. Yeah, it was so cool. So um, we shared some encouragement then. And so at about 10, 10 and a half, last gradual uphill, decided to get in front of the group and bring it down a little bit, start to speed up. And we made a right turn then and we could see the the skyline of Austin, a beautiful city in the distance, campus. We're getting ready to run through by the football stadium and the track, amazing track facility down there. I knew because I had run the last couple miles what I was getting into at that point. I'd done that the night before and knew that I was mostly going to get some, it was going to roll, but a lot of downhill and that the downhills were longer than the ups. So I was able to catch two guys who were fading. The last one with, gosh, I don't know, maybe... 400 to go and then one of the guys from the pack behind made a move and got up on my heels and forced me to to push so came in in under under 76 and new personal best on a beautiful day but personal best by how much yeah that was a pretty big one again it says not a distance i get to and i'm starting to think to myself i even thought about it on my run this morning like i would like to race this distance more often you should i, I really should you're right it was fun but that was like uh, four minutes i think wow. based on compared to i guess the best was the second half of the marathon in california back in december most importantly just loved being out there in beautiful weather, getting to race, and with people who were challenging each other, but were so positive about it, and really trying to get our best out of this entire group. I think some of their encouragement and and positivity towards me rubbed off as I made my last pass on the guy. We came off a hill, our last downhill, and it was pretty much flat through the finish, straight shot. And I just, as I came right past him, I was like, come on, let's go. We can both do this. Bring him right with me. Just trying to encourage him because they had rubbed off. It was awesome experience. Got to cool down with some of those guys, some of the locals, some folks who had moved there. Actually, one of the guys moved there because he had done this race like seven years ago, loved it, loved the city, and just fell in love with Austin, Texas. And he gave me some uh, local food insights that became the story of the rest of the trip. <laughs> that was the real focus. I went to Austin for three days of eating with a race on the side. The barbecue, the Tex-Mex, oh, mommy, mommy, people, 
do yourself a favor if you're ever in the area. Get some of that delicious food. Austin is a great town, great place to run. That was the first thing I came back and told you guys. Dirt trail around downtown, around the water in the city. Awesome. Recommend it for everybody. Anybody here in our area, South Carolina, North Carolina, who's looking for an out-of-town race, it was a great vacation time with the long weekend for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I highly recommend a trip to Austin. Great racing temps in the winter, at least. I don't know if I'd go down there in August to... Probably to put, <laughs> to put it all out, but it's kind of funny that while you were down there, FlowTrack released a workout Wednesday video with the NCAA cross country champion from Wisconsin, Morgan McDonald, yep. who was also in Austin yeah. training on that dirt path you were talking about. Right. So I haven't seen it yet, but I heard about this right when I got back. The miles and miles of dirt that they have. It's uh, right downtown. Awesome setting. Great running community there, and really appreciative to be a part of it. Now, looking forward, it's indoor track season again. I am excited. I know you've had some indoor track action with your team, getting it all kicked off. We have indoor track on TV this weekend. I think going to an indoor track meet is one of my great pleasures in life. It's an all-day event at which you can just enjoy competition. You can people watch. I've been to plenty where the events really weren't even that good, but you just spend the day with friends and enjoy track and field. Watching it on TV is fun too. NBC Sports Network, this Saturday the 26th, 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern, New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. Look at the event list here. Benji, let's kick it off. Men's 800 headlined by some nike oregon project guys clayton murphy donovan brazier right out of the gates first race and signing with the oregon this project. is it this is the debut we know clayton struggled last year early in his coaching transition and didn't have the season we might expect coming out of the olympics definitely things started clicking for sure towards yeah. the end of the outdoor season absolutely he got some redemption later on it'd be really cool to see what he does i think he would probably be the favorite there just because of the coaching change for brazier even though he might have more just more speed right um Maybe Murphy's experience here is a factor. The men's miles really good, too. You have multi-time Olympic medalist Nick Willis. Justin Knight, star out of Syracuse, is going to be there. And Yomif Kajelcha. Yes, the lanky boy from the Oregon Project. And he looked really good at Washington to open the season indoor in, what was it, in the K and the mile there with huge victories. That'll be a fun race. In the 3K, your boy, Edward Cheserick. The king. The king. Ethiopian star Gebrahiwet. That's a nice-looking duel right there. Oh, yeah. Women's races. Professional debut. 500 meters. Sydney McLaughlin. I can't wait to see what that looks like. The New Balance signed star in her professional debut. Coming off an incredible one-year run at the University of Kentucky that followed up her Olympic appearance as a high schooler. And then the one that maybe has me most intrigued, women's 5K. Oh, yes. Now, like six months ago, maybe, yeah, maybe even more than that, I told you a great American mid-distance runner is going to go up to the 5K. It's going to happen. It's going to be her move. I was just a little early. Who is she? It's Miss Jenny Simpson. Yes, Jenny Simpson. And in the field as well, 
Go German sensation. Constance Klosterhofen. That could be a really spicy duel right there. Thoughts on New Balance Indoor? What are you looking forward to? What should the people be paying attention to? And what will we be saying next week when we talk about this meet? Wow, that was many questions. It was. I'm sorry. I, I loaded up there. I think we're going to see Yomif's wheels in the mile. Mm-hmm. King Chez win a 743K race. Okay, so you're taking him to win? Oh, absolutely. I love that. Absolutely. Okay. He spanked Gebruit at the New Balance meet last year, the day after running 349 in the mile. So okay. He's already caked this guy. It's, wow. He's got it. Okay. Um, I think we're going to see Jenny get dropped in the 5K. Oh. And Clayton hold off a late charging Donovan Brazier, which is not how Donovan Brazier normally races. Okay. Those were some good, bold predictions there. I wanted more about more of that stuff when we talked about Walmsley earlier. I thought you were going to go all in on him with some predictions. I gave my opinion on Walmsley. Okay. You softened your stance He's going to win the Olympic trials <laughs> out kicking Galen Rupp in a new American record of 204.58. <laughs> Jim Walmsley wins gold in Tokyo in the Olympics a month, what is that, about a month after breaking his own course record at the Western States Endurance Challenge. If Jim Walmsley wins the Olympic trials, here we go. I will tattoo bang bang underneath each eyeball. Book it? Book it. Beautiful. Full send. There it is. That's what the people have been waiting for. Walmsley wins. We go bang bang under the eyes. Walmsley makes the team. Are you willing to put anything on the line now? You've, you've let it marinate for a little while. If he makes the team, yes. I will pay for Travis and I yep. to go out to Flagstaff, Arizona for a week to interview and run with Mr. Weemsley. Okay. Love it. If he doesn't make the team, you will get the Coconino Cowboys logo tattooed. On my dog. On your dog. <laughs> Deal. All right, let's swing now to our other big topic, which is fartlek training. How to master the art of pace change in your training at any distance for any race. Fartlek is Swedish for speed play, a tool for training that was developed in the late 1930s for cross-country runners in Sweden in the hope of competing with Finland's dominance from the 20. Of course, the flying fin, Pavo Nermi, one of the greats of the era. So, fartleks can take limitless variations for training at any race distance. And really the critical thing to consider when incorporating these, what are you training for? Is it about speed or is it about distance and endurance? Because that will lead you to determining how to run the fartlek. Often we will hear these couched in the terms of on and off cycles. Is that the language you've used in the past? Yes, especially with my athletes. It's just, well, I'll either say on, off, or hard and float. Hard and float, okay. I will use go and steady, hmm. or similar to you, surge and float. But we're tending to come at that a little bit more from a distance-based background. We had a listener, Daniel, ask about using anaerobic training in indoor and outdoor track seasons. And this can fit in there as well 
particularly for a speed-oriented runner, someone training for sprints to middle distance activities. So we have to shift our paradigm a little bit because it's not always that surge and float or hard and float that we might use from a distance perspective. In that meaning, if you are training for a distance race, cross-country, 5K, 10K, half marathon, a critical component is the pace of that float, the pace of that steady segment. That is what's really important to you. But for the perspective Daniel is looking at this from, if you're training for speed, it's the pace that you can create in that on segment, that go segment, hard segment. That becomes really critical And then the work you do in between becomes more of an off or easy, really a recovery segment. So we'll get into examples here, specific workouts. We were asked about that, of ways you can incorporate this for whatever distance you're training for. For me, fartlek running, going back to it, having not used it a ton in recent years, going back to it was probably my biggest positive addition to my running routine in 2018. I used it both in place of and in complement with traditional intervals and tempo running and that kind of stuff. I had huge success with it, and often it's that which we are not doing that we need the most in our training. If you haven't put something like this in, it could help you reaching goals in 2019. So before we get into ways to use this at different distances, Ben, Could you just kick us off with a couple favorites you have from your experience running of ways you've used change of pace speed play within a continuous run that you've both enjoyed and also thought helped you become a better runner? Yeah, absolutely. One I used a lot um, my final year of cross country in college Mm -hmm. was I would do five cycles with a minute rest between all of this. And I would do three minutes at 10K pace, jog for a minute, which for me was just I would do my regular easy run pace. Yep. Uh, then do two minutes at 5K pace, run an easy minute, and then I would run a minute at 3K pace. Okay. So a lot of changing gears, and it required me to start to try and recover during my 10K pace. Yeah. Just really focusing on relaxing and then being able to change those gears after. But we would do five cycles of that, and I loved that. That was okay. like bread and butter for me. Yeah, that's a great workout. Sandwich that in between first a warm-up whatever you need to do to to get going, and then a cool down at the end. Put those cycles in the middle. So let's let's dive into that a little bit again. You went through 10K pace first for three minutes? Yes. And then it was a one-minute easy. For you, that was easy, normal, everyday pace. And I think for most distance running and fartlek training, that's a pretty good baseline. Anytime that you are looking to float or um, go easier, you don't want to take it down to so slow that you're essentially stopping. It's this pace change that has value. You're almost taking that 10K as just a surge from your regular everyday pace. Then you went on to your 5K pace? Yes. And all of this is more of effort than pace. Yes, good. Um, We were on a rolling dirt road. We would actually do this during long runs. Perfect. One day my 10K pace could be like 515 some days it could be 5.30, and it depended if I was going up a hill or around a turn. It was I had to know my body and know my exertion level. Yeah. So to build on that, 
We feel different every day. We've talked about this with recovery. You recover the way you feel that day. It doesn't have to be the same pace every day. Do what your body needs. But that's true within workouts as well. And doing this with effort is part of what can make a fart like a really great transition for you as a runner between say a base phase and maybe you're getting on the track at the end. Knowing what paces feel like starting to work based on effort I think is really, really valuable. Then you would jog for another minute, and then you closed it at 3K pace. Yes. So definitely a hard effort. And then you between cycles, you gave yourself another minute? Yes. Right. So as you're saying, by the time you've done a few cycles, you're doing some 3K work that's really fast. And so within that 10K, you almost have to be able to recover in the slowest part of your cycle, exactly. even though you're running fast. That's really valuable. So you touched on a few things there that I'm going to come back to from some of my favorites that we'll get into here in a little bit, because I think there's a ton of value. So I could see why, one, you like that, because there is the ability to stay mentally fresh. I find in workouts like this, it moves really quickly because you're constantly changing. Exactly. And so you have the, this mental acuity. You don't have the expectation of hitting an exact time on the track. There is not a pressure that comes with meeting that time when it's an effort-based model like you suggested. And being able to recover while working at 10K pace, that's really valuable. Think how easy that makes 10K pace feel for you if you ever run that distance. I'll get into some of mine as we go through. Let's let's build this then starting with some stuff you might do if you're more of a sprinter or a middle distance kind of runner. Do you have an example you want to go with first of a sprinter up through a miler, maybe type of fartlek that could be used for that? Because I know you have some experience at that distance and maybe some more experience coming soon. We were talking 100K for you just a few weeks ago. <laughs> now we're talking 800 meters. So who knows? Yes. You, are, you have fallen under the umbrella of second splat coaching and we are going to guide you to success at all distances. <laughs> Fartlek training in that kind of mid-distance range maybe for you. Sure. So I haven't worked with middle-distance runners except at the high school level. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the staple things we would do with someone like that is actually go to a football field. We would run what are called figure eights. Mm -hmm. And so basically they would start at one end of the field and sprint diagonally across it. Okay. Or run at 800-meter effort. And then they would jog along the goalpost line yeah along the goal line from sideways yeah right and then as soon as they got to the next corner they would go diagonally across yep and so bring it diagonally back so they're at the opposite end of the field across from where they started and then take an easy one across the goal line again so you're xing the field the long way and then easies across the field yes yep. and if you ever want to see the slowest three steps that a sprinter can take you need to watch them round that last cone before they take off <laughs> it is hilarious to gather steam to get into that next one yeah, yeah. beauty to that is you don't need anything too fancy Mm -hmm. And that's part of what makes a fartlek work. You can do something as simple as you're out in your run and you're targeting telephone poles. And next telephone pole, you're going hard. And then to the next one, it's easy after that. Or it's that third mailbox I'm attacking. It's, it's simple stuff, right? You don't have to have even someone there with you, you know, that's keeping splits for you. You're able to do this on your own just off effort is often a great way to find a point that you're going toward and make that your target for a surge. 
And I've done this in groups when we've been in the off season, we're starting some training where we want to do some fast stuff and we'll be in a pack together and it'll just be um, each guy gets to rotate picking what we're running to. And maybe if I'm the coach, I'm going to say, all right, it's your turn in about a minute. I want you to pick a spot and we're going to run hard to it and pick something that's realistic and say, oh yeah, you know what? I see that uh, stump that's uh, two driveways down and we're going after that. We're going to run hard to that point. So just some pickups really is is how it develops. With some of the athletes I work with now, we actually incorporate fartlek in part of their warm-up. So they'll go off on their 10-minute easy jog and come back to the track. And as they're coming to the track, they'll do two to four laps of where they're jogging the curve and just doing a nice smooth stride on the straightaways. Yeah, striding the straights. No real data they have to hit, no real pace, but it's stretching it out, running quicker, and recovering on the turns. Yeah, and priming the pump for a workout that might be coming up after that. A couple that I really like if you're looking at a shorter distance race, maybe you're in the long sprints, love using a 20-second on 40-second easy cycle. Mm -hmm. That 20 second, it's not all out because that's a little too long for that. Yeah. And I've had some kids do that. I've had some sprinters who were like 100, 200 guys that we were trying to lengthen out. And I would, with someone like that, I might use this work later in the season. We've built with acceleration and maximum speed earlier on. And now we're trying to extend it more towards like some speed endurance kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I would like to do this where nobody had watches. We could be on the track. And it might just be a whistle. 20 seconds uh, cycle will start with a whistle, and then I'll whistle twice. And that's when you got your easy cycle, but you don't know exactly when it's coming for the next one. You just know when you hear that whistle, it's time to get going. Loved this with some of our f- people training for 400 and 800 meter races. Also, if even to some degree, you can work in like sprint float sprint kind of work for people who are even running shorter sprints. Sprint float sprint, the idea here is you're working on acceleration maybe like 40 meters then you float for the same distance perhaps and then maybe it's another 40 where you try to sprint hard again in and outs some folks will call this and then you could take out of that just simply really soft easy jogging all the way around the track and we reset for this same activity and so this has a fart like nature to it also really like for someone say running the mile 1500 3k two mile in that range a uh, 90 seconds harder maybe mileish kind of effort and again earlier in the season for these folks where they're just starting to feel what that effort feels like maybe we do 90 seconds of this and then three minutes of really easy within a fart lick and say you do six or eight cycles of that again that depends on your level of experience that number might be more if you are more seasoned or if you're training for something a little bit longer but 90 seconds at what you think is mile effort that's that's tough and three minutes then to easily recover it might just be just a few cycles of that to start if you're a younger runner but that's a great option as well in the middle distance range that you could use let's take it to maybe cross country or longer distance 5k 10k up through the road kind of stuff of fartlicks we use there. So I know you've trained for some of those races yourself. What is something you've used at those distances that you enjoy with a fartlick run? Yeah, one was actually suggested to me by Ryan Root, uh, <laughs> who used to work at Run-In. All, again, it's funny how I keep coming back to this with a minute rest in between. Mm-hmm. But I would go 
one minute, two minute, three minute, four minute, five minute, five minute, four minute, three minute, two minute, one minute. And this was all at 10K pace. Okay. So you're essentially building, you're kind of going up the, the pyramid and back down the other side. One, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one. And yes. that motion. We can do this with a lot of different times or distances. I like this um, to go back to some of the things you said earlier that you really liked in what you were doing. This could be shorter cycles. Let's say you did your um, 10K, 5K, 3K example you did earlier. Maybe you're not ready for three minutes, but we could vary the surges. Maybe the 10K surge is a little longer at say 90 seconds. Then the one that's a little faster, you only did for 60. And then the one that's even faster than that, you only did for 30. So you could go 30, 60, 90, 90, 60, 30. You could build it back up again, go up and down. Those are great options there. With this 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, I know plenty of people who will do uh, just stepping stone where they're cutting down. They might go even starting at 8 minutes. And it's almost like tempo running pace. It's like half marathon pace. Eight minutes, then a minute or two to recover. Seven minutes, six, five, four, three, working down. Or some will do the recovery is half the length of the hard effort that they did. That's another way to really get recovered. If you did a, a, an example like this a little faster, you might do seven minutes, then give yourself three and a half easy to recover, then six, give yourself three easy to recover. So this two to one ratio, if you're doing something a little bit faster, uh, work to let's say you were running at uh, about 10k pace for some people that 10k pace is less manageable than maybe for you as a more or ryan as a more advanced athlete so you just giving yourself one minute recovery that person may want to just do a half time recovery in your workout that you gave right there mm -hmm. So they might get to five minutes and give themselves two and a half minutes easy and then work down to four with two minutes easy and so on. I love one that is a Renato Canova a marathon timed fartlek like this that I have some friends in town who don't like at all because we did this a few weeks ago and they uh, went into the pain cave as we enjoyed our time in the fartlek. This is a six, five, four, three, two, one with one minute recovery between each. Then we gave ourselves five minutes easy and regrouped and did six, five, four, three, two, one again. To me, this is a more advanced like half marathon or marathon style of fartlek. Another point you said earlier was about recovering in a segment when you're running at 10K pace. I love doing fartleks where you have to recover while you're still running at a decent clip. Yes. That is incredibly difficult, but incredibly valuable. So it could be something as simple as the classic Kenyan fartleks where you're one to one or two minutes to one minute, or the two minutes are hard, but that one minute is really steady. So let's say, for example, you're training for a marathon or half marathon. That one minute recovery is at or near marathon pace. That can be really challenging. The other formula I have for this that I enjoy is doing alternating pace runs, longer cycles, maybe 800 meters, 1,000 meters, evenly spread, but both are at challenging paces. So for example, in the build-up to the half marathon that I just did, I did eight miles of continuous running, alternating each half mile of pace within my fartlek. So I started out at marathon pace for 800 meters. 
I then switched to something that felt like it would be slightly faster than what I could do for a half marathon. It ended up being fairly close to what I did, probably on average. I think the average of that workout, it was like 545. And then the average in my half marathon I did was like 547. So it was kind of close. But you learn how to recover while moving fast because then what I was doing in the easy segments, I'm running at like six minute pace. So you're just barely backing off some. So you might say train for a half marathon with 800 at half marathon pace, 800 back more towards marathon pace, alternating back and forth. Great challenge, great ability to use blood lactate. We know all the common conceptions of lactic acid building up in my legs and I feel the burn and all this stuff. And it's not exactly how that's working scientifically, but being able to work with the presence of lactate in the blood and using it as fuel is a great way to train and make some of those paces then like marathon pace or half marathon pace feel easier. Uh, Steve Magnus, author of Peak Performance, who we've mentioned before, coach of Brian Barraza, who is in the 3K at New Balance Indoor this weekend and was a steeplechaser who led the field at NCAAs for most of the race this year before a really rough fall late in the race that we talked about. Steve Magnus loves to use these and then build the distance of the hard hard portion of the alternation. So for example, whether you're training for a 5K up to a marathon, if you're doing them in breaking up miles, you might start with 400 meters at the harder pace, and then a couple weeks later it's 600 meters, then it's 800, then you work to the point where, say you're running a K at the faster pace, and only 600 meters at the slower pace, and you have to really work through recovering while moving fast, so I think that's a great option as well. Todd Roberts, the coach at Greer High School, Mm whose son on the team is a monster, a 15-15 junior. Cohen, who we've had on the show, mile two, if you want to go back and listen. One of their staple summer progressions is that they will start with a four-mile tempo on the track. In the last 200 of each mile, they'll run it at 5K pace. Mm -hmm. And then throughout the summer, that'll change. It'll go from 200 to the next time he does it, the last 400 will be at 5K pace. And they'll build up to where he's doing 1,200s at 5K pace, and resting with a tempo 400. So it's exactly that Magnus. Really challenging, really good work there. And it has to be, that kind of workout has to be done in the appropriate measure. Don't load up on a workout like that every three days. No. no, It's, It's way too much. For me, an alternation in my cycle, I might use it every two or three weeks, but I really enjoy it. It's a good challenge, and I can just tell. The way I feel that, one, I'm getting better, and two, when I finish it, I feel accomplished and know that I am on the trajectory I want. With the example you're speaking to there with uh, Coach Roberts, that is almost beginning like many people are used to doing hammer reps in their intervals. Like they're doing 10 by a quarter, and number four and number seven, you got to hammer them a little bit faster. Uh, That's the thing a lot of coaches will use. In this case, you're almost just incorporating that into continuous running in the fartlek format. I think that that is going to teach you to be able to surge in the race, teach you to be prepared for what it feels like if somebody makes a move that you want to go with while also learning that, hey, race pace doesn't feel as hard anymore. Race pace pace feels more like the recovery segments. 
One of my favorites is just to get a good hill circuit and surge on the uphills. Or if you're gonna go do a course that has a bunch of downhill, know what you're getting yourself into on the course you're running. If you're gonna do a course with a bunch of downhill, maybe you need to surge the downhills on it. That's one that I love. I used to have a loop that was about 1,500 meters at a park in the woods that had three really good hills on it. And I would love, it was a figure eight. And boy, I tell you what, that's, you know, thinking about all the places I've lived, I can think of training routes and runs that I miss from each place. And that's one that I wish I could just pick up and take with me everywhere. This loop that was a little less than a mile, we would do the figure eight and you just pushed hard uphill and then it was steady on all the flats and downs. And so with each loop of the figure eight, you got yourself three really good hills at different variations. One was like a 20 to 25 second, really nice, like perfect grade up, like going up an exit ramp kind of grade. There was a real short, like 10 to 12 second one that was a little steeper. And then there was a longer one that was less of a grade that snaked, but it was maybe 35, 40 seconds. So I worked all the different angles and the different distances. Start out, you might do two or three loops around it and you build over time. You're doing four or five times around that run it in reverse and get the opposite hills on it. There were so many variations. So find a loop for you that has hills that you could incorporate something like this. Like here in town, I've mentioned this before, love to go up in, in Greenville up North Main and do the hills there at varying distances and you can just kind of make a circuit on that. If you're going up towards the Asheville area, again, we've mentioned Lake Summit that has a great flat dirt area where you can change pace on this, on, on some of the time stuff. But then there's hills you could hit if you wanted to get work some more hills into it. You have a favorite where you've done some running um, uh, up towards Tryon. Sorry, I couldn't yes. think of it. Yes. Uh, up towards Tryon on a kind of a rolling dirt road south river road south river road i have promised myself this is one of my resolutions of 2019 i'm gonna get some workouts in up there and go out there and just enjoy either some tempo or fart like running up there so if you're in that area that could be an awesome spot to do it if you're in town here too if you're looking for a place to do fart licks, just like even getting on the swamp rabbits where you get away from some traffic might be better for you or, or some like the dirt loop that's off of there that gets you away from getting broken up by having to cross streets. So wherever you live, that's something to consider as well. Another that I enjoy a lot is to just shift that one-to-one fartlek just a little bit. I will do a one-hour fartlek, which for me is the maximum. And I don't wouldn't suggest it for somebody starting out, but with the amount of mileage that I run, an hour seems like an appropriate cap to some faster kind of fartleks. I will go over that if it includes more like marathon pace and slower paces. But I'll do a one-hour where we do 20 times one-to-one, one minute on, one minute float, and then we'll move into faster segments for the last, Then so that's 40 minutes total. The last 20 minutes, we'll do 20 times 30 seconds faster than the minutes were. And now it's 30-30 cycles. So 30 seconds fast. My 30s are going to be easy now because I need them to recover. But I've done 20 times one-to-one at surging and then steady. And 20 times 30 seconds to 30 seconds of fast and then easy for a full hour fantastic workout. And it's also been for me something where I don't necessarily look at the minutes I've done until we're finished. And then I look at the overall average of that hour. And that gives me a really good idea of where I am compared to previous training cycles and where my fitness is. So you can use the fartlek as an indicator 
as well. And one last one I'll add, really challenging, and this is kind of a last one I go to in a cycle. Uh, maybe I've built up, I'll do like two minutes at half marathon pace, one minute easy, X number of cycles at that. When I really want to push it, I'll go one hour, three to one ratio. We've seen like Kipchoge uses a similar three to one work where he'll go marathon pace in his three. Uh, but sometimes I'll do this and go three where I push faster than marathon pace for the three and then steady in the one where it's not much slower than marathon pace. And that can be a really good long distance workout. So you just, showed him. Yeah, right. Elliot, coming for your record there, big boy. <laughs> Little man. Take these and adjust them according to the distance that you're running. So that if you're more of a 5K guy, some of the stuff I just went through could be great for 5K or some of it might be more for marathon distance. The hill circuit, that's great for a 5K runner. Uh, It's great for a cross-country runner. You might want to change the paces within your alternations, say, for what you're doing. So if you did alternating 800s or Ks like I mentioned, but you're a 5K guy, the half marathon might become more the recovery like the Coach Roberts workout The recovery is at half marathon pace, and then you do the sections at more 10K or 5K pace in the harder surges. Benny, is there anything else you'd like to add about fartlek running? We were asked for some concrete examples here, and I think we gave a ton of those, so that's great. And I cannot emphasize enough the value of this to, one, break it up for your mind, do something different than what you've been doing, uh, but also to support the weaknesses you might have in your running to make them your strengths. Anything else you want to throw out there? Yeah, I just think they're a beautiful way to work out because it's not necessarily all let's absorb this data and see where we're at. It's going with the ebbs and flows. It's more like a race. It's kind of the artistic side of running. That's true. I was thinking that too. It's it's the poetic way to work out almost. I would really encourage you when you're doing this to notice the rhythm of your body and your breathing and it gives you a chance to think more about relaxing your shoulders and lifting your knee and things like that rather than focusing on i gotta nail this 400 split dead on the decimal Mm -hmm. it's a great way to just enjoy the actual motion of running yeah it takes practice to get comfortable with but in time you can get to that place where you one really enjoy the workout and also grow and improve as a runner i'll speak to that from my past year that's been on my scale really successful with a lot of improvement and these workouts have been at least once a month for me but often more frequent than that once every two weeks has has been really typical actually i think my biggest word of advice when doing these is not to get in over your head too quickly when doing this (laughs) especially with younger runners, they tend to want to hammer. If you give them 10 times a minute on, a minute off, they run those minutes way too hard at the beginning and they're done by seven or eight. Yeah. If it feels too easy at the beginning, great. Crush it the second half. But try and get to a point comfortably before you really start going to a dark place or anything like that. Yeah, and that can be good advice just for racing too, right? And you said that in a really important way. I would tell those kids, if I was working with them, what you do in between the hard segments is what's most important to me. Say I had young runners going out for cross country. Can you hold this number on the easy segments 
If you can do that and you're surging on the harder ones, I don't even care what you do on the harder ones. Can you hold on to these? Because if you have to back way off, we're not getting the stimulus that we want. Right. And let's wrap that into a much bigger picture of workouts aren't everything. This is part of your cumulative effect of growth over time. What are you doing on the easy days? What are you doing with your mileage to add all this up? This is one element you can use to work out, but I suspect what you do on all the other days will end up being as or more important in your growth as a runner. Before we go, we want to give a ton of love to some local guys who put up huge performances at Houston. So we went through all those winners at Houston. We got into the Walmsley stuff that's fun that we enjoy. But we got three local people that we want to give huge congrats to who put up Olympic trial qualifiers. Eddie Garcia with the Greenville Track Club elite team. He is a teammate of Austin Stiegel, who we had on the show recently. He went below 219. Cole Atkins, a member of the first family of Greenville running, as both Cole and Esther are in the Olympic trials. Esther, once again, Cole just did it at Houston. Congratulations to you guys. Awesome performances. And then a man who will be a guest on the show in the near future, Ryan Root, who you mentioned earlier, 216... 44. 44. Okay. Didn't want to mess that up. Huge PR. He has been right there, just sneaking around the chicken coop, like 220, 221-ish in his past couple marathons. And I can't wait to talk to him, congratulate him on his success that will get him to Atlanta for the trials, but also hear about what took him from 221 guy to point B where he is now a trials qualifier. And I know part of it is a ton of miles and really hard work that he's put in. Awesome work by those three. So that will be it for mile 24 of the Second Slat Running Podcast. We appreciate you listening. As always, please email us if you have any questions. If you'd like more specifics on the workouts or how they might be best incorporated into your training plan, it is secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.